Good morning. For me, one more week of full-time local preaching before retirement. This is Paula's last Sunday here. She will be making the trip to Arkansas with our son from Fort Worth to get us moved in. After my work here next Sunday, on Monday the 28th, I'll fly out toward Arkansas. Your good words of encouragement have meant a lot to us as we begin this major transition. We appreciate your prayers in the continued progress of this transition. All right. I want us to imagine this morning this scene. You are engaged in conversation with someone. And being alert as a Christian, you discover in that conversation that you have an opportunity. You are visiting with someone who isn't a Christian. And you are in some way given the cue to tell the good news or perhaps simply out of your commitment you bring the subject up with this friend you're visiting with. Now at least you want to get this person interested in reading the Bible. That's the source. But you really want them to see as well that there is in the Bible God's plan of salvation for them and for all sinners. You want them to become acquainted with the big picture or the theme. And you realize you may only have this single visit. One opportunity of maybe 15 or 20 minutes to talk to your friend about the Bible and give them a picture of what they need. An interest is shown and you want to redeem the time, so what do you say? I want to recommend one approach for your consideration. I'm not going to suggest this is the only way to proceed. There may be cases with individual people where there is a basis of Bible knowledge and you can get right into what the New Testament teaches about what it means to be a part of the Lord's church. What one must do to be saved. But here's one approach you may want to consider. If you think you need to highlight the Bible picture and theme. One unified theme in Scripture. You take a few minutes and you tell the Bible story. And you conclude with the New Testament instruction about becoming a Christian. I've done this a couple of times before in 33 years. I call this telling the Bible story in 15 or 20 minutes. Now the idea is not to memorize my words 
or to ask for my notes and just hand those notes off to someone. This becomes your guide to encourage you to motivate yourself to organize yourself and prepare yourself to illustrate how you can introduce God's plan in the Bible. One way to prepare for this opportunity is this. As you read the Bible, write a brief summary paragraph about each section. And so you read about creation. Write a summary paragraph of that in your own words. You read about Noah and the flood or Abraham. Write a summary passage and go all the way through your Bible reading in a year and you have compiled these narratives in your own words of the Bible story. Then link those all together in their proper sequence and learn them very well. Maybe commit some of these paragraphs to memory. Then the opportunity is open and you're ready. You've got confidence to present the gospel to someone, at least to show them there is a plan from God that fulfills their needs. So read the Bible, get the sequence nailed down, write those paragraphs, perhaps do this with a Christian friend or in your family. And I believe you'll therefore have greater confidence to become a personal evangelist in this conversational setting. I'm going to go through this with you. The idea is not for you to write all this down. I've got it back there on a piece of paper. The idea is to see how you can use this system in a few minutes to introduce non-Christians to God's plan. Now this is nowhere exhaustive. Details are not reported. This is more of a preview or survey, a summary to open the door about God's plan of salvation. What everyone needs. You know where you start? You start at the beginning. You preview and survey what Genesis says about God making man. In the beginning God created and the rest of Genesis 1 and 2 is filled with what he created. And the remark is made several times in the narrative, it was good. All through this opening section of scripture it says, and God said, and this happened, and God said, and this happened. What God said came into existence. God, as the creator, holds such almighty power, he spoke everything into existence. And then you come to this part of the story in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. A great span of time later, Jesus would say, at the beginning, the Creator made male and female. And Paul said, when we observe what God made, we can see His everlasting power and His divinity. And we are therefore without excuse. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. So, everything was good, but then something bad happened. Adam and Eve committed sin. God treated Adam and Eve perfectly, providing them with a life and existence that is often called paradise. However, God had told them something they shouldn't do. But the devil came in with his deception... Eve was careless, deceived, Adam disobeyed, and sin became a reality. It was Adam's misfortune to go weeping from his paradise as sin separated him from God. It didn't stop with Adam and Eve. The tragedy of disobeying God hit their home. One of their sons killed another. In the events leading to the great flood and even after the flood, in accounts like the Tower of Babel, it becomes clear what man's problem is. It is sin, people not respecting God. The God who brought man into existence, the God who continued to let them live and breathe, yet they sinned against him time and time again. Through these early sections of the Old Testament, it becomes clear that man is responsible for his sin. Sin was not imposed upon man. Sin was not inherited from generation to generation. It was and is a choice to disobey God. Therefore, man is held accountable. God had a plan, a long-range plan, sometimes called the scheme of redemption, to give man a remedy. God's plan was actually formed in his perfect mind before the world began. It was indicated in his statement after Adam and Eve sinned that the serpent would only bruise the seed of woman. The descendant or seed of woman, Jesus Christ, would be victorious. God would take steps through time that would lead to the ultimate plan to offer forgiveness of sin to any who would want it. Part of that plan was to form a nation, and from that nation Christ would come. Here's the part of the story that takes us into the narrative and history of that nation. Genesis 12, 1-3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Observe, please, three things. From the offspring of Abraham, God would build a nation. He would give that nation a land. And though we do not have a lot of detail here, God would, through that nation, bless all peoples. And to learn more about that, we just keep reading. So, God created man, man's sin... Now we're beginning to see God's activity, God's sovereign control and work to bring to man a solution to his problem. Out of God's compassion and mercy and grace, from Genesis all the way through to the end of the New Testament, it's all about one unified theme, God's love to save people through Jesus Christ. Christ, Not force, but grace offered, begging for a response. Now, after Genesis chapter 12, reading from there further, it's all about these promises coming to pass, just as God said. God forms a nation from the offspring of Abraham. He gives the nation a leader, Moses. Now, in order for there to be a nation and for the nation to remain united and pure, it is essential for there to be law. Before Moses, there was certainly law. Adam and Eve and their children were under law to God. Now that law is codified, written for the offspring of Abraham, the Jewish nation. God gave a set of rules to this nation, a law to keep them together and keep them living right. The law of Moses, it was called. This nation was sometimes called the Hebrews or the Jewish nation or the Israelites. They were governed by the law of Moses. Now, here's something very important. God told Moses <clears throat> there would be a prophet to come in the future, who would be in some ways similar to Moses. But he would do far greater things. And he would do these things for all people, not just the Jews. In Deuteronomy 18.15, God said this, and Moses told the people, God will send a prophet like me from your own people. We believe God was talking to Moses about Jesus Christ, who would come to save any lost person, Jew or Gentile, based on the activity of faith. So God gives his nation a leader, a law, and a land. After many years of struggle and travel and deserved punishment of their sin... This nation comes into the land, the promised land under Joshua. And during the judges period in the time of Samuel, guess what? The same old problem came to the surface again. Sin. 
God has many opportunities to wipe everybody out and start over, but he's long-suffering, merciful, steadfast in his purpose to implement his plan for all men. So, they settle into this land, the people in this great nation begin to look around at other nations. And gradually, a very human, competitive idea develops. We need to imitate the other nations. Look, they've got a king. They've got this form of government. They have a very wealthy culture over there. They begin to look around, not at God and His will, but at other nations in a competitive way, wanting to compete with them and have what they had. God's will was against it. But in his wisdom and foresight, dealing with free moral agents, he let them have what they asked for. They said, we want a king like the other nations. First there was Saul, then David, then Solomon. And for a while, it looked like this would work out and be a good thing. But Saul took a turn in his character. David, while a good man in many ways, made some tragic mistakes. Solomon, for all his wisdom, proved to be weak and ineffective and the nation divided. And that brings the Bible reader into an extremely complicated period of time. Two nations, one in the north, one in the south. Two sets of kings, many of them corrupt. Other nations that interact with the Jewish people. Yet, please keep in mind, while all this chaos is playing out, God is still at work, even in bad times, to bring the events of history to their intended purpose in Christ. God shows grace. He's long-suffering. Well, things just got worse and the nation was taken into exile. Think about a people with their own culture, their own ways, their own language, their own kinds of food and clothing, their own culture invaded and taken from their land into a foreign land to serve the needs of that foreign nation. In Babylonian captivity, God's nation, the Jews are there, lived for 70 years. You can read about this in 2 Kings with references in Psalms and in some of the books of prophecy. Still, God has every intention to bring to pass His plan to send the Savior. Finally, as reported in Ezra and Nehemiah, the nation is able to return to their homeland. It was a very hard journey. And much hard work was involved, rebuilding their lives back home. Serious efforts were undertaken by a few of the men and women then to restore the right place of God's law in their national life 
and their individual lives. Remember, sin got them into captivity. Now back home, obedience to God's law would have to be the centerpiece of their culture and their restoration. Next, many, many years passed without biblical account. 400 years. It is like at the end of Malachi, the curtain falls, but we now know we cannot conclude God was absent in the affairs of men. God made promises that never did die, even in times when the earthly population just kept digging deeper and deeper into sin. God was at work. And here's where all of this was headed. I'm in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But... As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus lived on the earth in perfect harmony with God's will. Fulfilling all those promises and prophecies of the king and his kingdom. He died for our sins, arose from the dead... And he gave through his apostles a message that we call the gospel. These men preached the truth about man's problem and God's solution. These men who delivered this book said, The problem is sin, but God will forgive you based on the death of Christ. When people heard this message, believed in Christ, and were baptized they became Christians and members of the church, the body of Christ. So today, when people read the Bible with a good and honest heart, 
when they see that God is above all and the Bible is his word. Christ is the Son of God. Sin is our problem. But God's plan is we can be redeemed by the blood of Christ. When these things are heard and believed, when Christ is confessed as the Son of God, and the instructions are then repent and be baptized and live faithfully. Now I have two questions. Can you tell this story? And will you tell this story? The future of this church is telling this story. There are people you know People you've come in contact with. People you have opportunity to talk with who need to hear this story more than they need to hear anything else that could be heard. Will you tell them? As you read through the Bible, make a few notes and learn the sequence and memorize some good summary statements and you can learn to tell this story. We can help people with the highest kind of help people need. And God has charged us with that duty. I hope this will help us and motivate us to prepare to tell the Bible story. And should there be one or more here today ready to respond and become a Christian, do that now as we stand together to sing. Have I